engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. If he doesn't ever give another speech, if he never speaks again, uh, what the president managed to accomplish today at the United Nations uh, would would be enough. Uh, it was the best speech uh, he has given as president. I think it's the best speech he's given, period. Uh, welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB out of Atlanta. Uh, you can get the show notes and the podcast and everything by texting the word show to 444-999. Um, I'll send you back a link, subscribe you to the email, all of that, where you can get all the highlights from the president's speech today, which was phenomenal. It really was phenomenal. We will get to the Georgia Tech situation here in a little bit and the latest on Gasty. I got to tell you, though, so I'm driving up to the studio to be on with Scott Slade this morning. Traffic is a nightmare the whole way up here. Luckily, was in the car and didn't miss a friend of mine from the White House calling to give me a preview of the speech. And it's very interesting to hear how the White House, in advance of the speech, wanted the speech to be seen and how the speech is being seen. Uh, And one of the core points is that liberals are outraged, outraged outraged by what the president said about North Korea. I think that's clip one, if we can play that. The United States has great strength and patience, but if it is forced to defend itself or its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself and for his regime. The United States is ready, willing, and able. But hopefully, this will not be necessary. That's what the United Nations is all about. That's what the United Nations is for. Yes. Let's see how they do. Yes. I mean, there is not a word of that that is false. There's not. If we have to, we will destroy North Korea. We have the means to destroy North Korea. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission. I am I'm willing to to say, I I I I don't bet, but I'm willing to say, I'm willing to believe, I'm willing to state that his Rocket Man is on a suicide mission line is going to play as well with the foreign policy elitists as Ronald Reagan's evil empire statement did, and that Donald Trump, like Ronald Reagan, will get the last laugh on those foreign policy elitists. It is that big of a deal. Uh, And it was a great line. It was a great moment. And it was a great reminder that the United States has the capacity to wipe out North Korea, but is willing to work with the international community and the United Nations whose purpose is to prevent the destruction of other countries through war and see how they do. I did not have an objection at all to his statement. It needed to be said. So when White House staff called me this morning on the way up here, to can you give me a heads up on what the speech would be, how long it would be? By the way, they got it right. They told me they were aiming for 45 minutes, and it was. 
Um, one of the things they said is that the reason they didn't tell me what the president was going to say, other than one of the lines he was going to use was that, uh, world, the world can't, or countries can't afford to be bystanders to history. Uh, they have to play an active role in it. Um, that I was told he was going to be blunt and bombastic on North Korea because the president wants to wake up the world community to what's happening and to make it clear that what North Korea is doing can't be considered acceptable and to note the fact that the United Nations itself really isn't doing anything. If you will recall, there's still a state of active war in Korea. There was never a peace treaty signed. Uh, there's a United Nations line established, a, a neutral zone established, and and this was a United Nations engagement that is technically ongoing, and the UN needs to deal with it. What the president also did, and in fact, I think this is clip six in that, if we can load this, he defined what he meant by his America First um, policy. Let's play this. I was elected not to take power but to give power to the American people where it belongs. In foreign affairs, we are renewing this founding principle of sovereignty. Our government's first duty is to its people, to our citizens, to serve their needs, to ensure their safety, to preserve their rights, and to defend their values. As President of the United States, I will always put America first. Just like you, as the leaders of your countries, will always and should always put your countries first. Again, nothing controversial with that, but that is actually a big walk back from the Bush doctrine and the Obama foreign policy. Because what's going on here is really up until George H.W. Bush, who had been a U.N. ambassador and ambassador to China, CIA director, up until him, and, you know, Jimmy Carter to a degree tried it, but Reagan walked it back, America had a very realist foreign policy. Gene Kirkpatrick, who was Ronald Reagan's U.N. ambassador, really influenced his thinking and the thinking of the foreign policy community of the age that our goal is to figure out what really is an American interest and pursue it. And if other countries are terrible to their citizens, uh, well, it's those people's responsibility to deal with their governments. Only when those countries' treatment of their citizens causes a risk to our national security will we operate. It was interesting to watch the president's uh, juxtaposition of these statements with Venezuela, but it was more interesting to watch the reaction of Obama staffers to this because Obama staffers today on social media and on television were outraged that the president would say what he just said in that clip, that um, my interest is taking care of America, not imposing our values on you. And then to say, essentially, that we're willing to go to a hot, violent war against uh, Venezuela. Well, how are you doing? Well, because as he explained, and we'll get to this audio when we come back, as he explained, what's happening in Venezuela is impacting American national security. It is impacting American foreign policy. It is impacting our national interest in oil prices, in destability, in 
triggering a refugee crisis and triggering a humanitarian crisis that we're going to have to bail out in South America, in destabilizing South America, in allowing drug lords to come into Venezuela. All of that is affecting us. So what he's essentially saying in his America First policy is, if you want to take your country to hell in a handbasket, do it. We're not going to stop you. But we will the moment you get to hell and it starts causing a problem for us. Then we'll intervene. That has always largely been a consistent American foreign policy among Democrats and Republicans. It was only with the shining city on a hill rhetoric um, and points of light and all that from George H.W. Bush that we moved in a more idealistic direction of what could the world look like if America applied itself with the fall of the Soviet Union. Now we're going back to a, a Cold War um, a Cold War realist American foreign policy, and I think that's kind of where we need to be. We don't need to be in the building of democracies abroad. There are sometimes bad men who are allied with us, and it's better to have our bad guy than their bad guy. Opening up the phone lines now, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. And again, we'll get to the Georgia Tech situation here uh, in a little while. The, but first, we gotta we got to go through the president's speech. Um, his statement on socialism in the Bartlett's book of quotations for this president, that will be there 100 years from now, that statement. Uh, let's play clip three. The problem in Venezuela is not that socialism has been poorly implemented, but that socialism has been faithfully implemented. From the Soviet Union to Cuba to Venezuela, wherever true socialism or communism has been adopted, it has delivered anguish and devastation and failure. Those who preach the tenets of these discredited ideologies only contribute to the continued suffering of the people who live under these cruel systems. America stands with every person living under a brutal regime. Uh, it got cut out of there. Um, and it was it's worth playing by itself. We don't have we don't have the sound clip though, but you could hear the awkward laughter in the crowd when he says it's socialism being implemented um, by des as designed in Venezuela. It, 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 there was a great bit of the crowd there that started laughing. And I've had several people say today that they wished he had just stood there and stared at the crowd for another five minutes so that the rest of them kept having to be forced to take a stand against socialism and communism. Um, it, it, what was so interesting about it, though, is North Korea boycotted the president's speech, wouldn't show up. The North Korean delegation wouldn't show up. The Venezuela delegation, they sat through the whole thing. Now, what's so interesting is the Democratic reaction to the president's statements. You know, the, Dianne Feinstein and others are blasting uh, Donald Trump for saying that we could destroy North Korea. Barack Obama said the same thing just two years ago, almost word for word.
Eric Erickson here on WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Um, you can text the word SHOW, S-H-O-W, to 444-999, and uh, two things will happen. One, you will get a request back for your email address, and if you reply, you'll get signed up for the daily show notes. And two, you will get a link uh, to Google Play and iTunes where you can get the podcast of the show. Yes, promoting the podcast, um, it, trying to grow our presence everywhere. Um, and it's an easy way to do it, and I'll get you information so you can order my new book and all. We're going to do a book signing in Lawrenceville. Um, I want to focus on another clip from the president's speech uh, because I actually have some family familiarity with the concern, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, but first, I, where's the clip I want to play? I want to play clip number two. Too often the focus of this organization has not been on results, but on bureaucracy and process. In some cases, states that seek to subvert this institution's noble aims have hijacked the very systems that are supposed to advance them. For example, it is a massive source of embarrassment to the United Nations that some governments with egregious human rights records sit on the UN Human Rights Council. Uh, hang on one second. There's some breaking news coming across the wire right now. Um, Republicans are announcing that a bipartisan effort to fix Obamacare is dead. Uh, there was an attempt by Lamar Alexander to structure a deal with Patty Murray, uh, the senators from Tennessee and Washington state. Uh, no dice. Uh, they will now continue a partisan effort. Susan Collins of Maine has now come out against the Republican plan along with Rand Paul. So it does not look likely that that will be able to pass either. Um, if they lose one more vote, uh, they got to have the vice president right now to tie it. If they lose one more vote, they won't be able to do that. We'll get into that later. Let, let me go back to this point, though, on the president's sound uh, bite that we just played. You know, my grandfather was a Swedish immigrant. Uh, he came to the United States a long time ago. He and his wife, he actually, uh, allegedly, I'm told, he actually installed the first Otis elevator in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, he and his wife, uh, the, my grandparents owned a boarding house on Peachtree Street. My aunt, my dad's oldest sister, her first job was at WSB Radio uh, during the Depression. She played music on the weekends for people going to church and synagogue. And he, my grandfather, hated the idea of the United Nations. In fact, my parents still have a letter he wrote, and I want to say he wrote it to the president, a copy of the letter or he wrote it to the New York Times in any event. It appeared in a newspaper somewhere at some point where he blasted the idea of the United Nations. A group of corrupt despots getting together to plot out how they were going to deal with world problems. And he, his letter's been proven true with the Human Rights Commission of the UN where all the world's despots get together with the worst human rights records and sit on the Human Rights Commission and attack Israel for its human rights record. The U.N.'s got to be cleansed. It's got to be reformed. And part of what the president did today that was so good was that, taking on the U.N. directly. The president 
is a blunt object. Let's just, I mean, a bull in a china shop, blunt object, whatever you want to use. Um, let's not dance around the fact that this president uh, foregoes diplomatic ease. He does not, uh, George W. Bush may have used the axis of evil line, but George W. Bush also was, was chummy and smiley and happy with all the world leaders. Was a nice guy, got along with them all. Barack Obama would go to the UN and have the soaring rhetoric and give these soaring speeches and, and make sure they understood that he knew the United States really wasn't as awesome as he thought it was. Wink, wink, nod, nod. It's just one of, of just like the rest of you and we're no better than you. Here comes Donald Trump today and he does the we're one of 193 members and yet essentially says, but we are better than you. We got a better constitution than you. We we've we've got a we've got a democratic record better than you. We have taken more of the world leadership in the last hundred years than the rest of you. We have made the world a better place than the rest of you. But we're not going to impose our values on you unless you start screwing it up for us. He's a blunt object. And he used his his bluntness for good purpose today. He made sure that world leaders understood that he is deadly serious about the North Korean situation and that he will act if they don't act together. If they don't fulfill the United Nations core purpose, he is going to act. Uh, And if they don't act, well, the United States is going to. By the way, have you heard about our plan? Um, He intends to park ships off North Korea's coast and shoot down all of their missiles from here on out. That's the initial part of his plan. And from there, the president of the United States made it very, very clear that the U.N. needs to be reformed. And from there, he praised Russia and China for their help with North Korea. And from there, he criticized Russia and China for their expansionist tendencies, basically saying, look, we're not expansionist, but those guys are, and that's going to be a problem for all of us. This was a foreign policy of realism. It was a mature speech. And what's so interesting for me this evening, having digested the speech, having watched it, having molded, having having written about it, having talked about it, is not what the president said, but that there are left-leaning leaders in the United States today and reporters on television who are supposedly objective, who this entire evening have been defending Iran and North Korea, our enemies who would do us harm for the sole reason that Donald Trump called them out. Who's deranged, him or them? Fifty-five after the hour, Eric Erickson here on WSB. Let me bring you up to speed on what's happening in the Senate. Uh, interestingly enough, Burgess Everett, one of the political reporters up there, said um, he heard a senator pass another senator in the hallway today and say, have a good weekend. If you haven't looked, it's Tuesday. Yeah, but you know, if people are bemoaning that, I think that's a good thing. The less time these people are in Washington, the better, I think. Uh, The less time they're in Washington, the less time they have to screw up our lives. But nonetheless, they're trying to do something in Obamacare, and they keep calling it repeal. It is not repeal. The Cassidy-Graham legislation is not a repeal. It tweaks Obamacare. Uh, That the Republicans can't be honest with it tells you everything. But i got to tell you, Rand Paul is playing people. He really is. And I like the guy. 
but he was willing to get something to the floor of the Senate uh, that he opposed, knowing it would die on the floor. One of the last pieces of legislation, uh, but for Obamacare repeal. But this one, because it has a chance to pass. He's refusing to vote for it because if it goes to the floor, it might pass, and then Kentucky would have to restructure its its healthcare exchanges. And that's all this bill does: is it restructures the healthcare exchanges and, and block grants, Medicaid money to the states. That's it. It repeals the employer and individual mandate too. That's about it. When we come back, the Georgia Tech shooting. It is nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. And you can text the word SHOW, S-H-O-W, to 444-999 and sign up for the daily email, get a podcast link. So if you miss the show, you can still catch it every day. Because there's always information in here. And we got to talk about the Georgia Tech situation. Honestly, my wife got mad at me last night over the situation uh, because she had, we were going to dinner last night. So our kids' school, uh, once a month, had declares a family fun, or once every quarter or so, declares a family fun night where they they don't want parents who work at night to go to work. Take, take a day off, work if you can. The kids don't have homework, and they just want you to go spend time together. Well, we went out last night, uh, went to dinner at the Locos, and then went to Dairy Queen, and then came home for a Galaga competition. I actually lost. I came in third. But then I won Super Mario Brothers. Yes, I did. I got all the way to level 7 before dying. Um but my wife, along the way, she had showed me the video from Saturday of Scott Schultz getting shot at Georgia Tech. I didn't put two and two together that it was the same thing. I didn't realize it was Tech. And she was just outraged that people were outraged that he got shot uh, and, and couldn't believe it. And I, did, I just didn't realize it was that situation. And then last night at 11, I, I started getting texts from people that there are riots in, at Tech and a, a police car being burned. There was a, a, a vigil that turned violent. Um, individuals who actually on their Facebook page claim to be members of the Church of Satan. Yes, such a thing exists. Uh, claimed responsibility, Antifa members claim responsibility as well for the violence at Georgia Tech. It was not Georgia Tech students. Um, what happened is very tragic, and I'm going to offend a lot of people in talking about it, and I don't mean to. But given the nature of the situation, I am going to offend a lot of people. I apologize in advance and want to make very clear, it is not my intention to offend anyone. But we need some plain and simple truths. And as my friend Andrew Breitbart used to say, truth is truth, it is not mean. But there are truths here that need to be said about the situation. And one of the first truths is this was a suicide and it was an intentional suicide, and it was an intentional suicide planned in such a way that it was to bring about a police officer 
causing the death. There's no way around it. He, Scott Schultz, called 911 and said there was a man on campus with a knife and possibly a gun and gave the location. He wrote three suicide notes. He went outside when the police arrived with the knife and began advancing on police officers, yelling at them to shoot him, and one of them obliged. And the left is making the police officer the bad guy. When the police officer was set up by the individual who was killed to do just that. And the whole thing is more tragic because Scott Schultz has mental illness, has struggled with mental illness. And I'm not talking about the transgenderism issue, but actual mental illnesses other than that. And I want to get to that, and that's where the offense comes in, but where it's necessary to say some things. Now, last night, I deployed the the breaking uh, news alert system that we have now put up at theresurgent.com where, and actually got emails from people thanking me last night. They were stuck on the connector last night uh, with the tech situation. And um, the... Um, they didn't know what the traffic was, and and so I went on with the breaking alert system that we've installed there. Where if you're on this, if you're on the resurgent and it comes on, you just start hearing my voice talk and just telling people. If you're, I know we have a lot of Atlanta readers of the resurgent, and if you were in the area, here's what's happening, and uh, it, it, people got it and they appreciated it. And I was trying to make sense of what was happening. Because again, I I was somewhat clueless. I had not heard about the shooting on Saturday. My wife bringing me up to speed. I didn't connect two and two. Well, I started reading news stories about this situation with Scott Schultz. And and, and he goes by Scout now. His family and friends humored him with this change. He, I don't know whether you would call him transitioning, but let me just read you this paragraph from the Washington Post of why it was so confusing to process the story. While the state's investigative bureau referred to Schultz as a male, Scott Schultz, the student and the student's family used the pronoun them. And on the Pride Alliance website, Schultz used the description bisexual, non-binary, and intersex. Drop my phone there. Bisexual non-binary, and intersex. You do not have to know what that means other than to know it is meaningless. It is really hard enough to write about a tragedy when the media and others are humoring someone on butchering the English language so that they can in some way feel good about themselves. And what we have in a situation like this was a mentally ill young man who on top of having all of the mental illnesses we talk about, suffers from one no one wants to talk about but treat as normal and humor him. And there is no help in that situation. And the problem for Georgia Tech was that this young man headed their Pride Alliance and was an activist on campus. And in this day and age where police are wrong for everything and everybody hates police and they're to blame for everything, he decided to commit suicide and structure it in such a way that a police officer had to kill him. When you go after a police officer with a knife, and I don't care how big or small the knife is, 
you're going to get shot. And guess what? Police officers are trained to do when they shoot you. No, contrary to what you know-it-alls who only watch movies and have never, ever driven around with a police officer at night think, police officers are not trained to shoot you in the leg. They are not trained to shoot you in the hand. Nor are they trained to shoot the knife out of your hand. No, police officers are trained to kill you if they have to shoot you. Because they only shoot you if you are a threat to them or others. And on Saturday night, the individual decided to become a threat to police to be shot. The police officers are not to blame here. And liberal outside agitators want to turn it into that. They want to turn it into a hate crime. This was a situation of mental illness. It is a tragedy. And it is a separate tragedy altogether that we're dealing with another mental illness that the politicized psychology departments of the world, the AMA and everyone else wants to dance around and not talk about, even though it is mental illness as well. And Reporters want to humor the people with these stories by butchering the English language and pronouns and talk about a single male as they and them in plural pronouns as opposed to just telling us what happened. A tragedy happened. A mentally ill young man was shot and killed by a police officer in the line of duty as the mentally ill young man with a knife approached the police officers yelling, shoot me. And on the audio, you repeatedly hear the officers saying they don't want to just put the knife down, trying to talk to him. And he doesn't. And then what happens? Left wing agitators who don't even go to Georgia Tech show up on campus and start burning police cars. Y'all. People are losing their minds. They are. Society is losing its collective mind. There is no reason to amplify tragedies, but there is no reason to attack the police with what happened at Georgia Tech. It was a tragedy in and of itself. It is a tragedy for the officer, and everybody wants to treat him as a bad guy. He's no bad guy. He's a victim here. In the line of duty, doing his job, he is no bad guy. He did not want to do that. You could hear it in his voice. You could hear it in what he said. But some people just want to stir the cultural disorder pot. And some people want to make the whole wide world turn upside down and watch it burn. And these people, believe it or not, actually brag about being members of the Church of Satan. Absolutely, positively insane. It is 27 after the hour. I guess I kind of went long in the last segment. <laughs> Y'all, let's let's play a game. Is this a Democrat, a Harvard professor, but I repeat myself, or someone else? Trump's ignorant hate speech belongs in medieval times, not the 21st century UN. Unworthy of a reply, fake empathy fools no one. Is that an elected Democrat, a Harvard professor, or someone else? What do you think? Oh, that would be the foreign minister of Iran. But can you tell the difference between that and an Elizabeth Warren tweet? I think not. I think you can't. I no, no. 
I mean, this guy, this is, if you needed any further evidence that the president actually gave a very good speech at the U.N. today, it is the meltdown uh, by the Iranian foreign minister and the American press corps, who sound alike today. It, you know, it's ridiculous to see Democrats on TV today blasting President Trump for saying at the United Nations that we could destroy North Korea when, in fact, Barack Obama said the same thing two years ago. He did. Sorry. I went too long there without taking a breath. Now I have to catch one. <laughs> okay, when we come back, let us shift gears further. Get into the healthcare situation on Capitol Hill. I'll tell you what I know, uh, which isn't a ton, but uh, it looks like Republicans are trying to make progress. They've got Mike Pence engaged right now on the floor of the Senate, and a funny thing happened when he walked past John McCain. Thirty-nine after the hour, Eric Erickson here, News 955, AM 750, WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750-1800, WSB Talk. You can text the word SHOW, S-H-O-W, to 444-999 and get links to the podcast in Google and Apple and sign up for the daily email, which we have revised and now I know you're actually getting, unlike the other system we were using. Now... The Republicans in the Senate want to try another repeal effort of Obamacare, and let's be real up clear up front that they're not actually repealing it. Uh, They've got until September 30th. The reason they have until September 30th is is because the end of the fiscal year. Uh, for the federal government. October 1st rolls it over, and reconciliation can only be used once every fiscal year. So they would have to start over October 1st, and they want to use reconciliation for something else. Um, So reconciliation is how they can do it without Democratic support, which means the clock is ticking. They've really only got another week and a half to get this done. Senators Lindsey Graham and, uh, oh, I forget his first name, Cassidy, from Louisiana, They want to repeal Obamacare without actually repealing it. What they want to do is they want to block grant the Medicaid money to the states, get rid of the individual mandate and the employer mandate, and essentially let the states come up with 50 health care schemes of their own. Let federalism work. In other words, what they want to do is allow the federal government to cede money to the states and let the states then explore what works. And whatever works, works, and other states can steal the idea. If it fails, it fails. So you could have under the Cassidy-Graham plan, you could have full-throated socialism and universal health care in California, and you could have, well, I mean, Georgia would be more likely to have a universal socialist health care uh, than free market uh, individual spending accounts. Texas would do it. But I mean, in Georgia, for God's sakes, they won't even let Christians adopt kids anymore with, with state help if they get their way. Um, so it's not like the Georgia Republicans will actually give us free market health care uh, if they were to get the block grant. But that would be on the voters of Georgia. It would not be on all the voters across the nation. I'm leaning towards thinking this is the best possible solution at this point. If you want to not have, because the Democratic advancement with Obamacare 
is to universal government health care for everyone in the nation getting rid of our private insurance plans. That's what they want. Bernie Sanders is now proposing it. He's got 15 Democrats supporting him. The only way to go in a different direction is probably to do Cassie Graham. Um, and the question is, will they be able to get the support? I don't know that they'll be able to get the support. One of the things that conservatives are insisting upon is that they make the regulations opt in instead of opt out because there are regulations that will come with this package. And if they're made opt out, it would give a future Democratic president the power to burden states that don't embrace universal health care. If they make it opt in, it would allow the states uh, room to escape a burden from the federal government later down the road. That makes sense to me. The question, though, is whether or not they can get the votes, and I don't know that they can. Uh, Obamacare may very well be the law of the land because a lot of Republicans who said they wanted to get rid of it won't get rid of it. Rand Paul is in an, an odd position, and Jonah Goldberg of National Review is the first one who noticed this pattern. Back when it was very clear that Rand that the um, the last effort by Republicans couldn't pass, Rand Paul supported it. And what Rand Paul said is that this was the best deal they could possibly get. And so he was going to support getting it to the floor of the Senate. He wasn't sure he would vote for it, but he would get it to the floor of the Senate because it was the best they could possibly do. Well, this is now the best they could possibly do. And this has more votes than that. This could potentially pass on the floor of the Senate. And so suddenly, Rand Paul says he's not going to even vote to allow it to go to the floor of the Senate. Now, that to me sounds like he's trying to have it both ways, that he's trying to sound like he wants to repeal Obamacare without actually doing it. You know what it reminds me of? Republicans always and have for a long time had the votes to ban abortion after 20 weeks. But there are a number of conservative pro-life groups who fight them every time. You have the power to stop children after 20 weeks from being ripped apart at a point when they can feel the pain, science says. And they oppose it because it's not a complete abortion ban. So they would rather continue all abortions than stop some of them. And that's essentially Rand Paul's position here. Um, two months ago, it was, we need to incrementally repeal Obamacare and we can, so I'm going to support it. And now it is, we could incrementally repeal Obamacare, but that's not a full repeal. So I oppose it. Do you want to begin undermining Obamacare or not? At this point, uh, we're not in an all or nothing position now. And even the conservatives recognize it, but this has a chance of passing. But if it passed, it would change Kentucky's Obamacare expansion. Remember, Kentucky expanded Obamacare. And Rand Paul is a senator from Kentucky. So what's more likely, that he wants to repeal Obamacare or that he wants to make sure Kentucky doesn't have any sort of financial repercussions from doing it? I would say it's the latter. He is their senator. It is his right. But I wish he would stop hiding behind the this isn't full repeal so I can't support it.
it's 55 after the hour. I'm now I'm going to to make some of my conservative friends upset unintentionally. Um, so there's the the idiot teacher who got told the students in the Georgia public school they couldn't wear a Trump t-shirt class after the Charlottesville thing because the the white nationalists were wearing Make America Great Again paraphernalia in Charlottesville, so she didn't want it in her class. Um, she has been disciplined by her school. The students have been told that they are perfectly welcome to do that. Um, and my buddy Michael Williams, and, and he is a friend running for governor, I, I read something that he's leading a protest or something or, or wants the teacher fired. Y'all, I got to tell you, I'm just... I'm I'm not down with leading protests to get teachers and, and people fired uh, because they do something dumb in their job and they've been disciplined already by the employer and uh, the kids have been told um, there will be no repercussions and what you did wasn't wrong. They they dealt with the situation and I see more and more on the left say, well, we've got to we're you can't work here. We got to drive you out of society. And I see people on the right now saying, well, we've got to hold the left to their own standard. They do this to us. We've got to do this to them. We got to embrace Alinsky's tactics and we got to use Saul Alinsky's book. It's all about Saul Alinsky. I'm so damn tired of hearing about Saul Alinsky, who dedicated his book to Satan, to Satan. It was the Church of Satan last night that burned a police car. If you want to embrace Saul Alinsky's tactics, you are embracing tactics dedicated to Satan. Do you understand that? You can show grace. They're never going to. I mean, the scripture is very clear about this. Uh, the world is never going to like the things of God. But this whole up, we got to go after this person's job because they did something we don't like and we've got to ruin their career. She's been disciplined. Sounds like they handled it. Now, maybe the story is wrong, and of course, you know, it, it could be the press getting things wrong, but like, I, I hope we are not, conservatives are not trying to hound people out of their jobs. Uh, it's what the left did with James Damore at Google. We should not be reciprocating, trying to drive people out of their jobs. Um, you know, grace shows off and pays off in the end, and our ways aren't their ways. I don't want to behave like somebody dedicating a book to Satan.